Looking to stand out from the pack at your first job? When you earn a master's in management from Georgetown, you'll gain the skills employers value most, elevating your career prospects for years to come. Get started at choosegeorgetown.com slash MIM. Welcome to the Smart Driving Cars podcast. Thanks for being here with us. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with the Faculty Chair of Autonomous Vehicle Engineering at Princeton University, Alan Kornhauser. Hi, Alan. Hi, Fred. Well, we are really happy to have joining us this week Marjorie Blumenthal, Director of the RAND Science, Technology, and Policy Program, and the Principal Investigator for the just-completed Autonomous Vehicle Safety Project. Thanks for being here, Marjorie. My pleasure. Great having you. To start out with, uh, Marjorie, tell us a bit about the background here. The research, uh, we understand, was sponsored by Uber's Advanced Technologies. That's correct. As you may know, RAND has done a variety of projects looking at autonomous vehicles and policy, and it's looked in broad ways at, at safety issues as well. In the summer of 2017, the Uber Advanced Technologies people approached us and asked if it would be possible to develop a framework for measuring autonomous vehicle safety that is company and technology neutral. So that was our charge, and that initiated a process that unfolded over basically the, the last academic year or our fiscal year of talking with a wide number of companies, uh, some researchers, safety advocates, government officials, very intellectually diverse group of people to understand how people think about measuring safety and what were the possibilities for improving the, the state of the practice. Let's talk about some of the key findings. Tell it. Sure. Give us the overview. So, sure. So we did uh, first discover that there is no consensus way to define safety, which we thought was rather interesting. So for our purposes, we have defined it as the elimination minimization or management of harm to the public, and there our emphasis is on people as opposed to animals or property. We developed a framework that you can imagine as a, as a kind of matrix combining stages, settings, and measures. So by stages, we're talking about three stages of producing an autonomous vehicle, development, Demonstration, which we are arguing is a set of benchmarking moments that should be formalized, and deployment. And then we looked at three settings for testing during those three stages, simulation, driving on closed courses, and driving on public roads with and without a safety driver. So given a, a matrix of the stages versus the settings, we looked at the kinds of, of measures that, that might be possible uh, in, in each of those cells. So we looked at um, what you might call lagging measures, which, which in some ways are the gold standard. They're just elusive in this space. So a lagging measure would be a safety outcome like crashes, which are uncommon. And that's why most of the measures that people end up talking about are leading measures or proxy measures of driving behaviors 
that may be correlated with, with safety outcomes. So infractions would be an example. Um, would, would a vehicle have violated a, um, a rule of the road? The most common leading measure, uh, and we discussed some of its shortcomings, is disengagement. And so a lot of people are familiar with the California requirement that companies report the number of disengagements. And we, after talking with a number of people in Israel, in Israel, in industry, came up with the idea of an integrated measure that we have called roadmanship. We wanted a way to um, build from behaviors of the vehicle to understand how it would, in essence, play well with others, how it would behave in traffic. So because safety events are so uncommon, where it's not possible to have an exposure-based measure, we also advocated that there be more case studies developed and shared from safety events. And you can see a beginning of that practice in investigation reports when there are incidents, but one could uh, adopt the practice more broadly, especially if companies were willing to share more interesting experiences that they encountered. So overall, you know, we, we saw that the success of autonomous vehicles requires public trust, and we believe that being a little bit more transparent and consistent in measuring safety would be helpful in, in fostering public trust. So be, in addition to the framework, we also talked about some other issues. So for example, when people talk about highly automated vehicles, the so-called level four vehicles, those operate within an operational design domain within a set of constraints, geographic, temporal, weather, uh, and, and so on. Because we have competing companies who are doing things in different ways, there could be value in having a common taxonomy of elements for these operational design domains so that there could be a common way of describing uh, this set of operating constraints and the public could understand what it means to compare across uh, these operational design domains and understand uh, similarities and differences across vehicles. We also talked about the value of agreeing on common protocols for testing um, and also for uh, communicating results during the, the demonstration stage that we advocated. Um, those are, those are the, the principal points that we arrived at, uh, other than in addition calling for or at least report, noting the benefit of having a protocol for information sharing, recognizing that in a highly competitive environment, uh, information sharing is, is difficult. Did you get uh, widespread cooperation with this, or were there, were there companies that did not want to participate? Um, by and large, we were able to communicate with a large number of companies, and we, we list them all in our acknowledgement. And one of the reasons I think that our approach was successful was that, well, there are two aspects, but the most important aspect may be that we had 
almost all of these interactions in a one-on-one -on -one kind of context. That is, members of the research team talked with um, individuals from the, the company in question. So that could be a more comfortable environment in which we could demonstrate that we meant what we said when we set up the conversation in explaining that we weren't looking for anything that was highly proprietary. We were trying to explore how did people think about safety, about measuring safety, about the strengths and weaknesses of different approaches. And we found that people relaxed into the conversation and got, got interested in it. We did have one group interaction, a, a small workshop, and that was very helpful both for the obvious reasons that when you get people together, they, they mix it up and you get a fuller sense of, of the issues. And it, it helped us to refine our thinking and actually this notion of roadmanship was something that arose from that workshop conversation and then we developed it further, but it arose because we were talking about different kinds of measures that have been proposed by people in industry, people in academia. We present uh, a number of these proposals in, in capsule form uh, in the report, and people were acknowledging both the limitations of individual existing proposed measures and the virtues of having something that was more integrated. So I think we were we were pleased by the uh, cooperation that we received, and I think it's also a sign that that the industry is maturing to some degree, and there may be some growing recognition that doing more things in common uh, could benefit everybody. Alan. Uh, well. Um, uh, I think that uh, in my uh, quick look at your report uh, I, I, and, and your summary, I think it, it is, of course, uh, excellent. Uh, uh, the efforts and the objectives that, that you have with this, because, of course, uh, uh, safety is an absolute necessary requirement associated with this technology, and it's not going to see the light of day if it's not perceived to be safe. Uh, this is an enormously challenging job, um, maybe unachievable job in some sense, uh, to even, you know, think that one can, can um, uh, come up with a quantitative measure or a set of quantitative measures that, uh, that then uh, uh, translates into perceptions uh, such that there is a uh, uh, sufficient public trust uh, to allow um, uh, this uh, technology uh, to advance and 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 provide uh, the um, uh, the benefits that at least uh, <clears throat> many of us see in this technology. Uh, <clears throat> the hurdle that has to be uh, it has to be um, uh, achieved on this is that it has to be safe. Uh, and, uh, of course, uh, again, that is a perceptive measure uh, by the, the community at large uh, and various elements of that community uh, for that to happen. Uh, 
um, uh, some of the things that I guess I wish you know one would go farther in. Uh, of course, uh, as many people know, you may know also, Marjorie. I just don't like the, the levels. Uh, the levels, if one is trying to, to not confuse the public, uh, my goodness, uh, the worst way you should start uh, is uh, by talking about levels. Um, it, it, has, it has essentially nothing to do with what is being tried, what one is trying to achieve with these, with these technologies. And importantly, what one is trying to achieve is 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 to achieve mobility in these various domains, and it's very good that that, um, that you spell out the domains. Um, uh, those domains uh, maybe at some who knows what future become infinite, uh, such that uh, uh, there are no constraints. But but all domains are limited, and in fact, uh, <clears throat> what may be uh, safe in one domain is not safe in another domain. And it's very important to uh, first uh, see what it is that one is trying to achieve with this. Uh, so if one is trying to provide mobility, let's say to the mobility disadvantage within a, a community of whatever that you geofence and so on that has certain conditions, uh, which uh, doesn't include going uh, who knows how many miles an hour down, who knows what, uh, divided highway, then then th that part of it, you know, isn't part of it. Um, uh, or if one uh, is looking to say that no, it's going to be within an area in which, in which uh, pedestrians are fenced off or whatever. That's a that's a whole other domain. And and the, the tying in of safety with domain from the beginning in terms of what one is trying to achieve, I think, has to be an important component to ask uh, people to go uh, to, to achieve hurdles uh, of, um, of, uh, in, in one domain, which is not the domain in which they're operating in, uh, makes no sense. Uh, but uh, so I think it's very important that, that, that you brought the concept of the domain uh, within that. And again, uh, you know, what is it? The, the measures that we've used, as you pointed out, are, are not good measures and anything having to do with you know, just saying VMT, uh, my goodness, uh, uh, that's just wrong. Simply because uh, you know, you can go, you, you can game the system so easily uh, if it's if it were if it were that simple. Uh, because there are easy VMTs and there are hard VMTs and there are really tough VMTs. And um, and the other really good things that you point out is is uh, really a a beginning of a discussion that, that, in fact, the industry should be sharing um, the safety information and how do we achieve that while protecting uh, intellectual property and um, and also um, uh, doing it in, in, in a way uh, such that the, the competition in this industry takes place uh, uh, beyond safety. Uh, not with safety, and that uh, that uh, the safer everybody can make it uh, together, and, and uh, actually improves everybody's opportunities to be successful, is a really important one. Uh, as we well know, with respect to safety, as as you well uh, put it, extremely well, um, it, it's the leading measures, not the lagging measures. Uh, we don't know what we don't know. Uh, we don't know what 
what Mother Nature might throw at us that all of a sudden we trip over. And, and as we trip over those things, um, all of the information that, that, that one gathers from tripping over those things uh, should made it be available to the community at large so that, in fact, everybody can have the opportunity to, to uh, attack those and address those uh, as best they can. Um, uh, this certainly was partially done with the, with the Uber crash in Arizona because uh, I guess at least Uber uh, Uber uh, certainly uh, made available um, at least some of the information that, that was there uh, but all of a sudden you know that you know that crash occurred because of because that vehicle was operating outside outside of its operational domain you know and that operational domain has to be one in which you have an automated emergency braking system operating on your vehicle and if you're operating in a domain where you've turned it off, uh, my goodness, of course you're not going to be safe. Uh, so, in a sense, the, the tying of the of the domain with with the safety aspect is is absolutely key. I think the other the only other comment that uh, yeah, uh, let me just make one more, and then please. Sure. You know, uh, the, the only other comment I'd like to make is is I think there's also a role. Um, here of, of Wall Street uh, in, on top of all of this uh, that, that, that I think needs to be, um, I, I, I don't know how it's implemented or, or how there. In a sense, uh, you know, um, Wall Street may end up being uh, the, the ultimate um, uh, um, enforcer of safety uh, simply because, um, as I think I, I you know, started mentioning, if these aren't safe, um, uh, they're worth nothing. And so uh, all these companies are out there with their particular valuations, and uh, and um, uh, if they have a substantial valuation, um, that valuation uh, that that basically uh, that ranch is on the table, and uh, and if uh, if they're not safe, uh, they lose the ranch, um, and so somehow or or as part of all this. Uh, maybe the the, the, the biggest uh, um, uh, enforcer of safety uh, on all this in the end, especially in the beginning, um, uh, when we don't know what we don't know, is in fact, uh, may in fact be Wall Street. Uh, so um, anyway, I just throw that out as, as another thought on top of, you know, the very good work that you've done here. Sure. Thank you. So just to pick up on on a few things that that you had mentioned, you you referred to the the challenge of sometimes companies could game certain measurements. We did uh, in talking with people tease out a variety of of characteristics that one would desire from a measure, and we ended up collapsing them into four, that they should be valid, feasible, reliable, and we said non-manipulatable. But there was a Right. I love, the, I love your non-manipulatable. I love it. I love it. Uh, yes. And, yeah. you know, we, we heard lots of conversations about that, but we also, in making our distinction between pure development and what we've called demonstration, we wanted to make a contrast between those times when the people developing the AV really want to throw everything at it 
you know, they don't really want to break it in the most literal sense, but they want to see what can go wrong. And that is legitimately part of developing a computer-based system. But then you sure, get to sure. a point where you are, you know, closer to engaging the public and, and you know, looking into deployment, and then you need a different kind of, of measure that you ought to be able to, to stand by and ideally to share. And I think your your last point on the investor community is very well taken because it it connects back to what I was saying about the maturing of the industry, which which is not mature, but it is so much closer to having some kind of commercial offering that the stakes are obviously higher. You know, we talked about the difference in testing uh, between whether the employees associated with a developer or the testing facilities might be exposed as opposed to the general public, which didn't sign up to participate in an experiment. And those are very real differences. I think that there's also the question of what will happen with the insurance industry. And they are certainly looking at these issues along with the expectation that the ownership model is likely to shift more towards fleet ownership, um, a service provider offering access to the vehicles, as opposed to today's expectation of a lot of retail individual consumer ownership, and that will affect. Well, that's um, that's somebody else's expectation than my than my expectation. I don't think there's a consumer. Right? Uh, I, I'm all I'm a fleet guy, so uh, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> yes. No. Well, I, I think that there are many reasons with AVs to expect more fleet ownership. Absolutely, and it, probably it has to do with safety. And, and in fact, you probably can't even, even ensure safety if a bunch of consumers own it because because who knows how the heck they're maintaining it, whatever. And, exactly. uh, the provision, and the provisions over top of that consumer ownership are, are going to be so onerous that consumers will say, why the heck should I buy it? So, yeah, uh, but uh, anyway, th those are, again, those have to do with the scenario, which is, which is really key in all this. Okay, and 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 I I think that 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 you know putting together what you proposed in here, the scenario along with the, the perception of safety and making sure that one is clear in in the coupling of those, uh, really does a lot to advance the industry. If I can chime in here, it sounds like uh, there may be a real need for an education process for not only car makers, but really consumers here. You know, the idea that in addition to the abstract kind of education, which is what I suspect you were referring to, to help consumers who might read about AVs uh, to get a sense of what do they look like, especially people who don't live in the Bay Area or Arizona where you can see them uh, more often, and and have more realistic expectations about how they would behave. I mean, we already have, have heard that there have been instances with some of the earlier testing of individuals deciding to challenge these vehicles, you know, run out in front because you know they're supposed to stop. And, and I do wonder whether everybody understands that even if these vehicles can stop, you know, they're, they're not going to defy the law of physics. And, you know, there, there may be a stopping distance and it may be too small. That also, and, and there needs to be an enormous educational 
educational campaign done uh, with respect to respecting these vehicles. And, uh, and, and because, you know, I, I can, I can go out on, on the New Jersey turnpike and go stand in the middle of the lane and, and, and bring the whole thing to, to close. Okay. Uh, and, and cause a, an enormous, whatever, uh, but in a sense, uh, one has to, one has to be able to do that. So there, there's an enormous education campaign that has to do with, uh, with both, uh, uh, providing, um, uh, information to uh, to the public that makes sense to the public that, that they can understand that that uh, that, uh, that is not uh, you know the Sunday supplement stuff that, that that is so pervasive right now with respect to to this technology. I I suspect most I mean, people, if you brought it up, would would envision the ability to buy a car that drives itself, and that really is not what uh, at least. Alan's uh, vision is here. Yeah, it, it's not. And, and, of course, if you look at what Tesla is, is now saying with respect to its, its uh, you know, next release of, of, um, of autopilot, I mean, it, it, it's – and I don't – I'm not – and one isn't even sure whether it's Tesla or Tesla enthusiasts that are out there doing it. Uh, but the implication uh, that, that, uh, that it is uh, – a, a self-driving vehicle, uh, or, or a driverless vehicle, I shouldn't say, oh, my goodness, a driverless vehicle, it, it's just not there. It, it's not even close. It can't do it. It, 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 it can't take you from, from, uh, from the watering hole to your, to your bedroom uh if you've had too many and it shouldn't even one shouldn't even be be uh, even thinking about uh, suggesting that uh and um, and so um uh, you know there's a, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of uh, information there that needs to be uh, put out there to to uh, to, to stop uh, all this disinformation that's out there the the other aspect is the challenge of conveying risk and we talk at the end of the report about how, on the one hand, there certainly is literature on, on risk communications, and on the other hand, it remains a, a work in progress that is really hard to get people to understand all manner of risk. And we're just going to add this into the already imperfect understanding of the risks of flying, the risks of driving conventional cars, and so on. So I know enough about human-computer interaction to know that the answer is not going to be telling the public so much that the public will adapt its behavior. Uh, the, the burden remains on developer, the developers and operators of these new vehicles to adapt to what we understand about the range of ordinary human behavior. Maybe a quick comment, Marjorie, about where you go from here and uh, is there more that you're working on following on to this? Well, we're at the moment where we're waiting to see what what kind of responses we have. I know that uh, one of my colleagues is, is likely to be talking with a, uh, a technical group about our roadmanship idea. And I should mention that in connection with this colleague, one of the different things that we did in this report is that we 
combined a public health perspective with an engineering perspective. We brought both of those perspectives to bear in, in talking about measurement. So I do hope that we can share these ideas in, in different venues that are concerned about both measurement and also about safety policy. So it's my hope that there will be a, a series of, of conversations over the next few months just to make sure people are aware to get the feedback and, and to see where we go. Uh, the the roadmanship thing is is really a concept is really good. It probably uh, uh, of course needs to have public safety involved, and and needs to have the really the the broader um, uh, transportation community involved. For years, I've been talking about um, uh, truth in transportation. You know, we have speed limits out here. Uh, and and uh, and the speed limits really um, are, are almost misinformation uh, because because that's not the way the the behavior is out there and it's not even the way the 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 the, the enforcement is uh, uh, you know you're either given nine over or four over or fourteen over yeah. or whatever and 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 so we 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 need to we need to come to grips with that. Is it a limit or is it not a limit? Is nine over the limit? What is it? Uh, you know, just because human behavior is always, uh, you know, trying to find the edge of the cage and stretch things. Well, you know, um, uh, what is? What are the expectations? Are the expectations that you come to a complete stop at a stop sign? Or do you just have to check out to make sure there's nobody coming and therefore you can roll through? And, and all these things, and, and so the expectations of the of the behaviors that are then programmed into these things, which are really equally safe, um, uh, really have to then deal with the public acceptance, both on the public side and, and on the on the uh, public safety on the on the uh, enforcement side. So you know how you deal with all that, um, you know, enormous issue, I think. Well, we have. Right, and that will connect with the, the infrastructure evolving as well. Yes. We have some other quick headlines to get to from the uh, Smart Driving Car newsletter, Alan. Uh, first off, the CEO of Waymo, John Krafchick, this week announced the company's self-driving vehicles have now crossed 10 million miles driven on public roads. Look at that. We now have a measure that tells us that it's safe. I, whatever. I um, it is an impressive number. The question is, what were the miles? And and if the if the miles are accumulated by driving over the same roads in the same conditions, uh, in um, in uh, Phoenix, Arizona, or Chandler, Arizona, okay, um, uh, great. I mean, uh, within that domain, uh, absolutely. Uh, what the implications are here in central Jersey uh, to go between Trenton and Robbinsville on, on our conditions, um, maybe not so much. Uh, but it is, it is an accomplishment. Uh, so, uh, but, um, but again, um, um, we've just been talking about the, uh, trying to have the right measures, but it is an accomplishment. Another headline, Consumer Reports says Cadillac tops Tesla in the organization's first ranking of automated driving systems. There you go. We have some other, uh, you know, measures out there that are going to uh, 
you know, tell us uh, what we should be buying. And it's interesting within that is, is when they do the ranking, when they put together the apples with the oranges and the bananas to come up with pears so that they can rank order them and find out what the top pair is, uh, they're, they're uh, uh, taking two measures. One is the supposed safety of, of, of the system or performance of the system safely, and the other one is um, it has to do with whether or not it's watching over you uh, and how well it keeps you from misbehaving. Uh, and so they have a weight on the misbehaving apple to put it together with uh, how well it uh, goes around corners and stays in the lane and, and uh, doesn't crash into the things in front of you and uh, puts then coefficients in front of those to come up and to rank them. So the implication of it is, is if you're going to misbehave in your car, you should buy a Cadillac. If you're not going to misbehave <laughs> and you want one that will really work and safely and not, and you won't misbehave, you should buy a Tesla. But anyway, um, uh, there it is. In the, in the newsletter, though, you seem pretty surprised that they didn't test the automatic emergency braking systems. Well, they did, and, you know, that, that completely, that continues to be, at least as what I, I say, the Achilles heel of, of those systems. I, I don't know any details of what Waymo has on their system, but I bet they have an automated emergency braking system that works in all the domains in which they operate. I can't imagine they've gone out there and done 10 million miles uh, and in whatever domains that they've done those domains and not had an automated emergency braking system that works. The problem is, is that it seems like a lot of other folks don't. And, and that is not a simple problem here uh, because uh, the, the false alarm rate associated with having a fixed object appear in front of you uh, at higher speeds is a non-trivial uh, uh, process. And, um, and uh, so, um, uh, and, uh, one, and, and of course, uh, what we have from history with respect to Tesla is at least in the past, their automated emergency braking system didn't work. It didn't work in Florida. It didn't work on the, in the crash with the, with the, with the um, barrier, the end of the barrier in California, or the crashes with with respect to the fire trucks. And if you look at the IIHS reports, you know uh, uh, they only test those things up to 31 miles an hour. And uh, okay, if the design domain of where these are going to operate is 31 miles an hour and under, great. Um, but the Uber car in uh, in Arizona was going 40. So anyway, um, yes, whatever. <laughs> well, Tesla has Tesla has know. put out a third quarter vehicle yep. safety report and says it will publicly release uh, accident figures on a quarterly basis. And the report indicates that there are significantly fewer accidents when autopilot is engaged. Again, that's another measure, and, it, and it, look, we've been discussing, you know, single measures or whatever of this. It, it is a number that, that one should should maybe pay some attention to. Why? Because 
maybe, maybe the, 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 there is not a bias between the, the operating environments of Teslas when you have an autopilot on as opposed to when you have autopilot off. Although one might be able to argue that, in fact, the, the, those are bias samples, uh, because where you have autopilot off, it may be much tougher driving conditions because autopilot can't handle it. And, in fact, autopilot is only operating in places where it's trivial or it's more simple, and therefore the probability of accidents, blah, 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 is much less. So the fact that, that when autopilot is on, there are many fewer crashes uh, than when autopilot is off uh, has to be looked at in terms of the details. If, in fact, the mileage, the, the, the roads driven and the environment and the domains that those operated in are essentially the same, then those are really important numbers. Um, if they're different, then one has to really look at what is the differences in the domains and, and to see uh, whether or not one can reach any conclusions with that. But, you know, that, that's, um, again, as with, with most things, it's the details or, or it's, it's the terms and conditions uh, that make the big Great difference. perspective, Alan. And the comparability. Yeah. Yeah, Right. Well, the Department of Transportation, here's some good news, has come out with figures indicating that motor vehicle fatalities last year decreased 1.8%, and that followed two years of increases. So I guess we'll take it. <laughs> yeah, it's some, it's some good news, and you put it in there appropriately, Fred, uh, that it, it follows uh, a number of years of increases. And so if we look at the low point, I think the low point is uh, 2011, um, uh, you know, where we are versus 2011 is not all that good. And, of course, we know what the, why the reasons are, at least most people, I guess, sort of assume they know. It's because of all the distractions that are in the car. I mean, you know, everybody's texting, and, and, and it's, it's, a, it's a, real, um, a real bad disease. And, um, and I think that that's why one has to maybe back off on these safety measures and really do the safe car uh, approach, uh, the safe driving car approach that, that, that you know, we've been talking about for so long. That in fact, uh, a lot of these safety things uh, should be uh, in the vehicle and uh, just um, uh, overseeing what we're doing. And if we start getting ourselves into trouble, should kick in there and keep us uh, from crashing. Uh, and of course, I, I, as, I, as we've talked about, that starts with the automated emergency braking system. Those things should be in all cars that are sold, um, whether we take our hands off the wheel or don't take our hands off the wheel. And, uh, and they should work. And, uh, and, and just because the industry has said to buy 20 whatever, uh, they're going to put these things in a, on all cars. Uh, we need them to put those in all cars and have them work. And the ones that they're putting in the cars right now, sure, they work up to maybe 31 miles an hour. Uh, but many people are driving much faster than 31 miles an hour. And therefore, um, uh, the industry needs to step up and improve their, their act here. Finally, Lyft has hired former Obama Transportation Secretary Anthony Fox to lead policy and advise its founders. Good move here. 
Of course, I think you know. I think the one thing that Secretary Fox did is he, at least he got the he got the federal DOT from just focusing on connected vehicles to focusing on automated vehicles, which is uh, which is of course uh, where the focus should be. I mean, uh, of course we'll do connections, but you know the connections don't do us much good until until a large percentage of the of the vehicles are connected. And what do we do until then? And so, uh, and and the thought that in fact, uh, you know, some whatever government policy, government uh, regulation, or whatever is going to uh, get vehicles connected anytime soon is well, I don't know, maybe, but I, I'm not, I'm not banking on it. Uh, <clears throat> so I think that I think that's a good fit. I think the, the the focus the focus with with Lyft needs to be. You know, originally, um, they weren't just ride hail. People called them a ride-sharing company. Uh, the problem is they don't share any rides. Uh, they've, they've lost their way in terms of, 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 of really wanting to, uh, sharing rides. And, and, and being in a lift, uh, in the backseat of a lift uh, with a lift driver is not sharing a ride. Um, uh, those two people in California shouldn't have access to the uh, high occupancy lane. Uh, there's only there's one vehicle and one ride. Uh, that's not reducing congestion, uh, which is I think supposedly at least at one point was the reason why those things were put in there was to relieve congestion to sort of get people who are leaving a car at home by riding together to then have some benefit for leaving the car at home. Uh, but, um, but, and so I hope that he, uh, he moves them um, um, again in that direction uh, of ride sharing, because in the end, um, ride sharing is, uh, uh, well, it's a solution to, uh, to energy, to pollution, to congestion, to affordability, to, uh, but unfortunately, we have to ride with somebody, and some people suggest that um, we didn't come out of the womb that way. But I, I sort of I don't believe that. I think it, I think it's Madison Avenue that's uh, in the process of making sure that we go to the dealership and buy our private vehicle. It told us how much you know privacy is worth and whatever. So I don't know. Well, that is it for this edition. We want to thank uh, Marjorie Blumenthal from RAND for being with us. Thank you again, Marjorie. My pleasure, Marjorie, so nice to have you. It was yeah, fun. Marjorie. I enjoyed it. Yeah, thank you. And have a great weekend. Uh, we have beautiful fall weather here in the Northeast. How, how is it in California? I'm actually in, in D.C., so oh, you're we're a little similar so you're to you. having yeah. great weather too, huh? Absolutely. Oh my goodness, wonderful! So uh, that's great. Um, uh, I don't know why I thought you were in California. Well, sorry about that. For, uh, whatever. That's all right. Anyway, the, the flagship um, well, you can find you can find <laughs> us at smartdrivingcar.com on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, Spreaker, and your Amazon Alexa. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with Alan Kornhauser. Thank you for listening. And now, an ad from Dad. All right. Save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's what, man. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. 
Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations.